Hey, listeners of the Bio Report. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you about the digital library from Deep Dive. How much time does your team spend looking for research papers? Google, PubMed, social media. There's got to be a better way. You can now search a reference database of 100 million scientific papers and read the full text of 20 million articles, annotate them, and share with colleagues. It's the smarter way to do research. Here's the best part. If you're like me and been frustrated by not being able to access articles you find because they're behind a paywall, I've got good news. With Deep Dive, you get one-stop affordable research. If you're a listener of the BioReport, you can try the enterprise version of the service for free for one month. Go to deepdive.com forward slash podcast and enter the code BIOREPORT. That's deepdive, D-E-E-P-D-Y-V-E dot com forward slash podcast. And the code is BIOREPORT, one word, all caps. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Cardiometabolic conditions such as type 2 diabetes and heart disease have long been treated with pharmacologic interventions. Better Therapeutics believes cognitive behavioral therapy delivered through its prescription digital therapeutics platform will provide better outcomes at a lower cost. We spoke to David Perry, co-founder and executive chairman of Better Therapeutics, about the company's prescription digital therapeutics platform, the case for personalized cognitive behavior therapy delivered this way, and what it'll take to get doctors to prescribe it and payers to reimburse for it. David, thanks for joining us. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about better therapeutics, its efforts to improve outcomes for patients with cardiometabolic conditions through what you call your nutritional cognitive behavior therapy and your prescription digital health products. Let's start with the diseases you're targeting. How big a healthcare problem do they represent today? Well, <clears throat> over half of U.S. adults have one or more major cardiometabolic disease, including diabetes, hypertension, and hyperlipidemia. It's a, you know, it's, it's a, we use the word epidemic for a lot of things, but I, I think it applies here. It's a, it's a massive problem. To what extent are cardiovascular diseases and diabetes and related conditions driven by behavior as opposed to biology? And, and, and perhaps more to the point to what extent can these be treated by behavioral therapy rather than pharmacologic interventions? Yeah. So, um, you know, a fascinating, a fascinating topic. So if you, if you think about our evolutionary history, I, you know, we didn't 
we didn't really have ancestors with cardiometabolic disease. You know, in in order to in order to survive and thrive and reproduce, um, you know, people were lean and fit, and uh, and those are things that tend to um, you know reduce or eliminate cardiometabolic disease. So, um, I, I think it's fair to say that while um, genetics can determine the extent to which poor behavior results in cardiometabolic disease, um, you know, eating and exercising well and, you know, avoiding um, things like smoking and drinking to excess will almost always prevent and treat cardiometabolic disease. Better Therapeutics actually began life as Farewell, a company that was focused on weight loss. In 2018, you changed the name to Better Therapeutics and the focus to disease prevention and to digital therapeutics to treat chronic diseases. What led to that change? The change isn't really as as dramatic as you describe. I, you know, the the insight that led to us starting the company was that you know, what what we're doing in the U.S. around healthcare is uh, doesn't make any sense. You know, we're we are spending trillions of dollars a year, literally four trillion approximately in the U.S. on healthcare totally. About three trillion of that goes into treating diseases that are preventable, um, things that are caused by the the patient's own behavior. Um, and so, as we looked at that, we said, you know, th- this is a trend that can't continue. We we can't continue to spend more and more money and get worse and worse outcomes. Um, so we started the company with the with the explicit. Um, mission of trying to address that problem. Um, we were unclear on the business model. It wasn't, wasn't obvious how we were going to do that or how we were going to make money on it. We just believed it was both possible and necessary. Um, we, were, we were helped enormously in 2017 when the FDA put out guidelines for the approval of software. And, uh, and with that clarity of how the FDA was going to treat these kinds of uh, software applications, we, we uh, decided to focus exclusively on prescription, uh, you know, prescription digital healthcare. How did the business model change with that shift in focus? Well, as, uh, as we started, we were thinking about sort of approaching the consumer directly. And what we realized over time was that if we really want to impact this disease, we need to be we need to be doing it in conjunction with the physicians. Um, you know, eighty percent of healthcare spend is driven by the the treatment recommendations that primary care physicians make. And so, if you if you really want to impact this sort of large disease, we needed to do it there. You know, at at as at the point at which physicians were giving advice and and writing prescriptions for patients. And so we really pivoted from being a consumer-focused company to being a prescription digital therapeutics company that will you know, uh, seek to educate and, and detail physicians and seek to be reimbursed by insurance companies. Why do people have such a hard time changing their behaviors ones they know are hurting their health and how can your platform 
overcome those challenges. Yeah. Well, the, this is the crux of it, isn't it? So, you know, back to evolution for a moment. We we evolved to crave sugar, salt, and fat because those were that that gave us an evolutionary advantage. Those things were were good for us in small quantities and were hard to find in nature. You know, sugar was available in the form of honey, but guarded by bees and, you know, salt, salt and fat was hard to come by. Um, but of course, in modern society, those things were available all the time, every, every day, multiple times per day. If you're at work and they offer a break room, you, you may have to mentally say no to Cheetos a hundred times a day. And so that's the reason it's hard is because we're, we are wired to crave things that aren't good for us in high quantity and they're available in high quantity to all of us. The, in order to make that change, we know what doesn't work. You know, telling people they need to do differently doesn't work. Going on a diet doesn't work. What, what does work is cognitive behavioral therapy, changing the way the brain is wired around these things so that when you get that craving, you have a different thought other than I'm going to go get some Cheetos. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy has been around in general since the 1960s. Um, it's commonly applied to, to things like depression, smoking cessation, um, uh, addictions, and, uh, in, and more and more broadly, you know, the, those applications are growing all the time. We're, we're specifically using cognitive behavioral therapy to treat um, metabolic diseases by changing the way the brain is wired uh, around the decisions patient, patients make around food and exercise. You've been using the term prescription digital therapeutics. Your pipeline looks like a drug development pipeline with the names of products in development using BT001, BT002, and so forth. What's the clinical development path and the regulatory path for these products? Yeah. Well, we, we look like a drug development company because, um, because there's so many similarities. Um, you know, we have to, like a drug development company, we have to discover and develop products. We have to uh, advance those products through clinical trials. We then have to submit to the FDA for approval or marketing authorization. Uh, and then, you know, we don't go to market or have anything to sell until those products are approved by the FDA. So that looks a lot like a drug company. Um, we're different in a couple of important ways. Um, one is that the pathway that the FDA laid out for the approval of software looks more like a medical device. So it requires uh, only as a single pivotal trial, assuming those, those results are good from that trial. And, uh, and the time frame to approval tends to be faster. It, it differs in another important way in that all of these products are related to one another because the, the root causes of all these diseases are related to one another. You know, if you can get a patient to change behavior uh, to treat their diabetes, you know, that's very close to the same thing you want to do with a patient with hypertension or hyperlipidemia. And so that, that gives us a, a whole lot of leverage around product development and clinical trials. Your lead product candidate, BT001, is in development for type 2 diabetes. 
It's intended to improve glycemic control by lowering HbA1c in patients with type 2 diabetes. What is BT001 and how does it work? How, how would someone with type 2 diabetes use it and, and interact with it? So uh, BT001 is a, is a software product delivered as a, as a mobile device, so an app on your phone. Uh, a patient would get access to it through a prescription from their doctor. So uh, we are, this product is still in development today, so it's not yet available. But once approved, uh, this would fit pretty seamlessly into the way healthcare is delivered today. You know, patients go to their doctor, they are diagnosed with a metabolic disease, in this case, diabetes. The doctor decides to prescribe that, that prescription is the appropriate next step and prescribes BT001 either instead of or along with um, uh, drug therapy. And uh, the patient downloads the app and the prescription provides a, a code to activate that app. The app then walks the patient through um, therapy lessons on a on a pace that's you know unique to them, but will will happen at about once per week. And those therapy lessons are intended to change the way the brain is wired around various choices, and and then provides goal setting and tracking associated with those, and you know the usual gamification and sort of. Uh, intense interaction that comes with uh, you know, well-designed uh, mobile applications. The prescription will be for 90 days. So, you know, there's a 90-day treatment period at the end of which many patients will be done. Uh, they'll, or at least our data shows that many patients will have changed their behavior at that point and be able to, to maintain that behavior change. If the doctor chooses to, they can write a prescription for an additional 90 days and so forth until the patient has reached, um, you know, the blood sugar control that they're looking for. So this isn't for chronic use. That's correct. I, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy in general is not intended to go on forever. It's intended to address the problem, change behavior, and then stop. Um, and we've designed our app the same way. It's possible, of course, that, you know, that, that people will need refreshers. So, you know, they, they might get another prescription, a 90-day prescription in year two or year three, et cetera. And that'll, that'll be sort of unique to the patient and the physician. But, um, but that's correct. Uh, the, the app is not intended to be used for the rest of the patient's life. The current real-world evidence study you're conducting, how, how big is it and, and what are the endpoints? Mm-hmm. So we're um, in addition to the to the pivotal study that we're doing um, intended to provide evidence for FDA approval. We're we're also conducting, uh, as you described, a real world evidence study that will that will enroll about a thousand patients, um, likely across multiple healthcare providers, and it's intended to look and see how uh, how blood sugar changes or sort of how efficacy changes over a longer time frame and in sort of the real world of treating patients. Um, A1C change is the primary endpoint, but we'll also be looking at other interesting things like how does the total cost of care change for these patients? 
what's known about the safety and efficacy of, of BT001 to date? Well, we've, we've run a number of clinical trials. Um, most recently, we ran a, a pilot study for PT001 in, in diabetes patients. Um, we discovered, there, or the results showed, that um, we saw about a reduction of about 1% in A1C level. Um, 1% is significant. That is, that is about the same level of reduction uh, recently approved diabetes drugs um, show. So, for example, if blood sugar improves from 7.5% to 6.5%, that would be a 1% uh, benefit. Um, so the efficacy looks good, similar to, to what um, pharmaceuticals show. And, of course, the side effect profile is, is uh, essentially zero. I mean, <laughs> the side effects are mostly positive, things like you know, weight loss and, uh, and people feel better and often see a reduction in comorbidities, et cetera. This is a product that physicians will need to prescribe the same way they would a drug. Uh, this would represent a behavioral change among physicians. What barriers do you see to adoption, and, and how are you addressing that? It would, well, change is always hard, and, and so I, I don't want to minimize that. But we'll say that you know, the behavioral change is well recognized as as the most important thing in in these uh, in the treatment of these metabolic diseases. So, in almost every one, if you look at the treatment guidelines, the first thing is something like physician will counsel patient on improved eating and exercise. You know, it's already part of the treatment guidelines. The, the problem with the current treatment guidelines is there's no practical way to implement it. You know, physicians only have three or four minutes in the average uh, appointment with a, with a patient. Of that, they only spend a few seconds probably talking about diet and exercise. And to no one's surprise, that's not very effective. So what we're really doing is giving the physicians an effective way to do what is already number one on the treatment guidelines. That that'll still take some education, but um, you know, I I would imagine at some future point in time, every single patient newly diagnosed with a with a cardiometabolic disease should get a prescription prescription digital therapeutic first before getting a drug. Uh, how about payers? Have you had discussions with them yet? And how focused are your studies on the? cost benefits of these products? Well, pretty focused. Um, you know, our, our argument to payers is we improve the outcome for patients and we're going to save you money. And, you know, that's a, that's a pretty compelling argument. And, uh, and we're continuously trying to gather the data that supports that argument. Um, Payers are very interested in this, uh, in part because of the size of the problem. You know, for for most payers, diabetes is their number one most expensive disease that they treat. And and they all know that that incidence is increasing enormously. There are about 30 million patients diagnosed with diabetes. There are another 88 million diagnosed with prediabetes. So, So the problem is 
is their largest one today and growing fast. So they're all interested in in alternatives to the current paradigm, and uh, and certainly a a product that can improve patient outcomes and lower their costs is something that gets their attention. In many ways, this this is not a drug, but it's more akin to a a service, which I would imagine would open up the potential for innovative pricing models. Is there any discussions about how you're approaching pricing or would this be a, a very traditional prescription pricing model per patient? Well, you're, you're right. I mean, this, this opens up the potential to, you know, for, for payers to pay based on results, uh, pay differently based on the magnitude of those results, et cetera. Um, I, I got to believe that that's the way it will be done eventually. And, and we would embrace that. Um, in the near term, though, I, m- most of the payers we talk to don't believe they really have the IT infrastructure to support that. You know, being able to tie patient outcomes back to prescriptions is, is something that uh, we, we don't yet have the systems to do. So I think in the near term, it's more traditional pricing. But in the long term, as you say, it should be outcomes based. You recently announced plans to go public through a, a merger with a SPAC. The deal is expected to give you $113 million, which included a $50 million investment from private investors. How will that money be used? Um, to, to accelerate everything that we've talked about, um, you know, Better Therapeutics is about a five-and-a-half-year-old company. We've made a lot of progress during that period of time, um, and the world has moved our direction in a big way. You know, the, the, um, the problem has only gotten bigger. The COVID has made everybody realize that healthcare can be delivered differently, remotely and digitally. And that helps, you know, with, with payers and providers and patients. And so, you know, we, we've spent a lot of time developing product. We now think there's an opportunity to build you know, a big company here, one that one that has a portfolio of products for various metabolic diseases and uh, and a commercial organization that can detail uh, physicians about those. And so we decided that um, that we wanted to increase our pace of investment in that. And this we thought was the most efficient way to raise that money. David Perry, co-founder and executive chairman of Better Therapeutics. David, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on, Danny. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.